Hello, friends, and welcome to World Build With Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Daniel Quinn and Courtney Staples. On today's episode, we have a longtime listener and patron, Gluax, coming back with a, with a, a pretty in-depth prompt, all things considered. And the prompt sounds a little bit like this. Welcome to the land of a thousand tombs, where the land is a harsh desert, where it is close to impossible to survive. However, tombs of immense scale exist throughout the world, and inside of those tombs are entire ecosystems. This is inspired by the Sondung Cave. And then there's a link for that in that. Thank you, by the way. Appreciate it. And Egyptian pyramids and culture. This world was originally lush and beautiful, and the tombs were constructed to put dead rulers with living people whose families would take care of the rulers for generations. Some catastrophic event turned the world into the way it is now. Uh, The tenets, we've got them. Number one, the people living in these tomb ecosystems believe the world to be ravaged by the gods, and they originally house rulers who were divine representations of gods. Think Egyptian rulers or pharaohs were thought to be representations of their gods. Number two, slavery is quintessential in this world. Whether it is to construct a new biome tomb or to toss the slaves to the wayside when population becomes too high. However, slaves are the only people who are descendants of these rulers. Number three, the slaves are all descendants of the original rulers of divine blood, thus granting them resistance to a degree to the outside world and allowing them to be sacrificed to create new biome tombs. Well, a very in-depth, very complex, and I mean that as a punny way, uh, prompt that we've got here from Gluax. Thank you again, Gluax, for your prompt. And remember that if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, click the link, follow the instructions, and within a reasonable amount of time, we'll be building your world. If you want to follow us on social media, we're at Let's World Build on Twitter. And if you want to come join our Discord and talk about whatever you want to, as long as it's like kind of related to what we're doing here, you can click on the link in the description of this episode to follow that and come join our community. And of course, if you're feeling particularly generous or you just want access to those sweet, sweet patron-only episodes, you can click the link in our description to our Patreon and give us money there. Without further ado, we can finally get into the prompt. Um, whew, it's very involved. I'm very excited to see what we've got going on here. And Courtney, why don't you get us started off today? All right. Uh, So my first one addresses the slave class. They're descended from divine royalty and they're treated well, almost like a gilded cage type scenario. Mm -hmm. Um, But their purpose is ultimately to be sacrificed in a ritual where their body becomes the tomb biome. Like if you think to the opening scene of the movie Prometheus, where an alien performs a ritual that like basically rips it apart, dissolves their body down to the genetic level, and it serves mm-hmm. as kind of a progenitor figure for life on the planet. Um, also picturing a scene from the movie Annihilation where a character's skin and veins start turning into plant matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also don't see this as a true death for the sacrificial slave, mm-hmm. more so as like a really severe transformation where they're their essence or their soul still lives on in this biome and maybe can still even be interacted with on some level mm. um, or get some sort of life force from the people living in it and tending to it. Uh, and then I guess branching off of that, that also kind of has implications for biomes having personalities of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what happens if a biome is abandoned? Are you like dooming that soul to solitary confinement almost? Right, right. Um, also, nice pun on branching, by the way. Mm, um, I, mm, I appreciate that. We're very, we're very punny today. Also, for those of you playing at home, uh, we do have Annihilation mentioned on the bingo card from Courtney. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure because we're dealing with like a, a pyramid that we're going to be mentioning the 1999 Brendan Fraser classic, The Obviously. Mummy. So you might as well. I think I think that's a free space. I, I yeah, that it, should just be our free space. Is the mummy. <laughs> yeah, completely agree. 
Um, okay. I, I really, I, I really do find that to be fascinating, Courtney, because the tenet is, it, it kind of implies this kind of like super science or, or uh, magic that they mm-hmm. have that is, I mean, it, it, it is creepy and it's also uh, repulsive. And it's also like, yeah, there is some like semblance of, I, I like when you said gilded cage, because that mm-hmm. is something that I was hoping we would be able to kind of like approach this particular topic with. I mean, I, I love the um, callback to the kind of Prometheus sacrifice aliens. Yes. And it's just, it's just like terrifying. And then also the idea of them being part of the tomb um, yeah. so that we can make yeah. them sentient. So like, that's kind of a, absolutely makes yeah. them essential right off the bat. Yes. Uh, question about how they interact with one another though, because how expansive are these biomes? Like, do they communicate with one another? Mm. Mm, maybe. I hadn't had that in my tenet, but I could certainly see that being the case. Or like, what happens if multiple sacrifices are carried out nearby? Do they start to like blend together? Right, because I mean, I'm I'm imagining that these are like, I mean, if, if I'm assuming this is all underground or mostly underground mm-hmm. for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the tombs? Yeah, they're tombs, right? So like, oh, I pictured I pictured pyramids like in the desert or some kind of objects that are like in the desert above the ground. I guess it weirdly. could be both. Like maybe there are artificial oh, yeah, sure. ones that they built up as pyramids mm-hmm. or some sort of structure, but there are also ones in caves and like underground mm-hmm. areas. Yeah, I'm definitely thinking a mixture of both here. So you, yeah, that'd be mm-hmm. cool. But but life is basically on the inside based on the. Um, the the tenets that are surrounding it, you know, like with the the divine wrath, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think that is definitely something that we should probably consider. Is that I, I, again? I'm thinking like an underground motif for the most part, and there's got to be some connectivity, you know, whether it be like a vine or a leaf or a root system or something like that. You know, like if you Ooh, yeah. if you're saying that they're essentially essence becomes a, a, a tree or a biome or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I can't help but think that there's some kind of a communication network happening between them. Yeah. Or there could be, um, shit, what is it called when you take like a cutting from a plant? Is it just a cutting? Daniel, you're the gardener. That's Clipping? true. Yeah. I don't know what they're called. Okay. <laughs> are you, yeah, are you talking you... about transplanting? Yes. Yeah. yeah like like if you... Slice. Yeah, if you yeah. like cut a piece of one biome off and like transport it to another one, does that allow for some sort of communication or or messaging system? And now, of course, you, we have to think about this idea that there's going to be an ultra tomb that has multiple, you know, like uh, transplants from different biomes, like in one place. You know, mm-hmm. I guess I don't know enough about the study yet to say like how they communicate with each other if they do. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I like these ideas. Yeah, this is already off to a rollicking good start. Daniel, why don't you continue this rollicking good start into a rollicking good middle and get us going on your tenant? Um, I'm I'm interested in the relationship of these slaves to whomever is doing the enslaving because the prompt doesn't really talk about who is enslaving them. Mm-hmm. Um, only that there were rulers who were entombed and you know there's a class of people derived from them that are maintaining them. And we know that the environment is an apocalypse. So I thought maybe like, um, and these words I'm going to use can be interpreted however, but I imagine the slavers as being um, really powerful, quote unquote, sorcerers who Mm. use some kind of resource or latent power in the tomb um, to enact the enslaving, which I think can work with what Courtney's saying, because if Mm -hmm. slaves are the tomb, then... I'm thinking they tap into the tomb somehow to establish their power. And mm. when I say sorcerer, I, I don't, it could be anything. It doesn't have to actually be magical, but I just mean someone who has some kind of either supernatural or super science power over tomb that mm-hmm. is the, the ruling class in some way. That's really fascinating. And let mm-hmm. me help you out, Daniel, Yeah, because uh, my tenant, one of my tenants deals directly with the people in charge here. Uh, because I, I, like you, I, I kind of had this concept or this, this kind of question mark. And I, I looked at the tenant, I looked at what Gluex was offering and I was, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to make this a cheat, uh, tenant. 
And I'm going to say two things. One, I think that this setting in particular is rife for a horror aesthetic. So the genre for me is going to be a deep, deep horror setting. And with that in mind, the reason I bring it up for you, Daniel, is because my tenet suggests that those who are enslaving these people are in fact the dead pharaohs themselves. Uh, the ritual in the tomb, they they basically become unliving pharaohs. And I love the idea that, you know, these people look at their their pharaohs and their rulers as though they were gods and they had power of the gods. We combine those ideas. Yeah, guess what? The sorcerer kings of these tombs, Daniel, that's what you're talking about. They're just the rulers of the tombs that, 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 that ah, man, I'm getting excited here. Anyway, <laughs> they're, they're basically mummies or sorcerer mummies or something like that. But that, that's my tenet. That's my idea. Uh, l- let's talk about Daniels a little bit more because I like, I, I think that this through line that we've created here works remarkably well. Can we add a wrinkle to that? So like, I, I like that. The only issue I'm seeing is it seems to be set up that the slaves and the, the families that they maintain, like they didn't have, at least from my sense from the premise, they didn't have an antagonistic relationship. Like the dead entombed people don't seem to be the slavers. So I'm wondering, and that's, that's exactly what you're saying. So I'm, I'm wondering <laughs> that they are, <laughs> I'm wondering then, um, is there a way to make that less clear cut? Because then the tomb people are the evil ones and yet their families are the ones enslaved by them to maintain their own tombs. You see what I mean? Like it, it seems a little bit um, like there's not really a separate antagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, the sense I was getting from the premise is that there's these enslaved families that are derived from the Pharaohs, right. Or from the entombed people. Mm-hmm. And they seem to have a positive relationship to them. I mean, it was my guess. Um, but you're suggesting that the the entombed pharaohs are actually enslaving them. Yes. Well, it was it was my assumption that if we we're modeling this slightly off of like an Egyptian themed setting, that the people mm-hmm. who were entombed were entombed so they could serve as uh, servants forever in the afterlife. Right. Except in this case, the afterlife is like right now. It's an unlife that mm-hmm. this pharaoh is living. Mm-hmm. And so rather than be denied the servants and slaves that he had in hell in life, this subsection of people was was entombed along with them. And with Courtney's tenant, we know that they can be sacrificed to become part of the tomb. The a specific subsection. Mm-hmm. I think that uh one thing that the premise is is pretty specific on is there, there is some kind of uh, like obsession with divine blood, right? Yeah. Like that you need a really pure version of divine blood to create more of these biomes. So I think that we can, we might be able to work with something there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I guess maybe to put some like gray morality into this more, which Daniel, that seems to be kind of what you're, you're after. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's not so much that the, inhabitants of the caves other than the descendants that are actually used to like propagate the tomb biomes um not so much slaves as they are over time it became a matter of survival Mm -hmm. especially now that the world is just enormously fucked on the outside Mm. these people more or less stay there voluntarily um like they're they're free to leave and attempt to survive in the wasteland but that's obviously a very difficult choice to make. So mm-hmm. most just end up staying. So are you saying that in the beginning, it wasn't a bad relationship, but it's become one because of the situation outside. Yeah. It could be something like that where it morphed over time. Cause then I could see like the tomb characters who are still living, like these mummies have become more evil over time. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Cause then we can get to the state that Rob is suggesting where like essentially they've enslaved their families. Mm-hmm. See, I, I think where I'm getting caught up here is the initial uh, relationship with the pharaohs and, and rulers to begin with. It was my assumption that these people, like some were buried and some were entombed with people who were not of royal blood. 
along with some people who were of royal blood. That's that was my initial assumption. Yeah, right? Yeah. Let's see. The slaves are only the people who are descendants of the rulers. Because it's so like what what made me feel like obviously any slave master relationship is, is awful. But what made yeah. me feel yeah, like yeah. is that um I, I feel like it, there's some religious connection that makes the families willing or wanting to be part of because the way he said like um would take care of the rulers for generations. It almost seems like a caretaker relationship. Yeah. It's become a slave relationship. I, see what I mean? I got it. The tombs were originally designed like they were the actual structure ones as mm. like fallout shelters, essentially. Okay. So like it was like a if you stay here and um, tend to this tomb, you will be protected for all time. That kind mm-hmm. of idea. And then it's become an enslaving because of what's happened with these the the rulers themselves. Like they've they've gone mad or they've become more evil in some way, and it's become a slave relationship. I I see it more as a coercive relationship where these are the people who are, are essentially acting as tomb guardians where like there's either a sense of duty that is kind of baked in or there's something like a sense of desperation where it's like, look, if you come and take care of the Pharaoh, you know, for eternity, then your family topside will be taken care of. You know, right. Or, mm-hmm. You know, you're or you'll be blessed. Your family will be blessed elsewhere. So you could still have a directly antagonistic relationship from the jump, but with all of these interlocking parts that kind of prop it up. So it's like, yeah, this is obviously a thing and there's obviously benefits for doing it, you know? Right. Like it's technically voluntary, but when you look at it, it's like, mm, right. Exactly. Not, not really. Yeah. Kind of like how capitalism mm. is supposed to be voluntary, mm. but isn't. Yeah. Exactly. Is that another uh, part on our bingo card there? <laughs> Uh, no, well, it should be now yeah, that I think yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so could it be the case that, cause there's a cataclysm that occurred that ruined the world, right? Yes. Could it be the case that these tombs were set up in anticipation of that cataclysm? These families inhabited these tombs. They would take care of their rulers who had set help, I guess, help build them with their labor and for eternity. And they would be protected from this cataclysm. But now that the cataclysm has happened, they're essentially imprisoned here. And the yes. pharaohs inside are essentially enslaving them to keep it functioning. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And it could also be a thing where like, maybe there is a way where you could technically like re-terraform the world, essentially, mm-hmm. if you, if these pharaohs actually allowed their divine blood to be used in that way, but they've gotten so greedy over time that they're like, no, we just want to sit underground and, and enjoy our, our sick cave things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause they're, they're kings over their own space. essentially, Right. And right. they don't want to like give the power to the people basically. Imagine the arrogance of one of these rulers where it's like, I was promised an eternity of servitude. And now just because the world is like cataclysmically mm-hmm. destroyed, mm-hmm. you want to take that away from me. This is like a, it, it, this is like a, a child who you're trying to take toys away from, except it's like people and like, holy shit, real life situations, you know? Yeah. yeah. Is there something that the ruler offers that makes it impossible to turn against him? We're very difficult to turn against. Him. Well, you, you suggested that, you know, the, the sorcerer is the one who creates the biomes, right? Um, I just said that they can tap into the resources to establish their power, but I like that. <laughs> I think that's even better. Mm-hmm. So are they, are they the ones that actually are able to make the ecosystem work? Without exactly. Them? Okay. Yes. Yeah. And they need, you know, like the pure divine bloodline mm-hmm. to continue mm-hmm. that cycle mm-hmm. forward. Right. Oh, so they were like scientists in some way because they constructed this biome to begin with. They have the knowledge. Right. Right. Um, And and like, that's where I think you can kind of get into some really interesting and admittedly appalling, you know, like power dynamics Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, Where I I think that we can really make that part work, you know? Now I see it all. I'm good. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I'm glad we're on board here. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So this is, this is something that I'm, I'm really kind of curious. and, And I think that that through line that we created where, you know, the, the, slaves are kept to become biomes who are living biomes. Now I think we've established here, right. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And those biomes are created by the undead pharaoh kings, the sorcerer kings that Daniel and I have kind of blended together here. Um, the I think that's a really cool, interesting thing that we can talk about. Um, obviously, there's some inherent horror within that situation, so I feel like I'm good on that. Uh, now I'm going to like throw a twist into my own uh, thing here and, and start with my second tenet, which is I want a major theme of this particular setting to be emancipation and freedom. Now, what I mean by this is almost entirely up to interpretation. Uh, and, and I mean that like deliberately. I want there to be like an exploration of that theming both physically and on a metaphorical sense. And unfortunately, what I'm, what I'm kind of hinting at here is the implication, the very dark implication of what does emancipation from this particular type of setting look like, especially to those who might be sacrificed. And I will, I will open up the discussion to my co-hosts now and stop jabbering. Um, I have a tenant that may help you with that. I mean, Ooh, by all means, go, go right ahead. <laughs> um, I had I I pictured these the pharaoh types as somehow immobile, like unable to leave whatever space they're in because mm-hmm. they're too mm-hmm. um, not just within the biome, but within a space inside the biome. Right, right. And so I've written down as them that there is a tomb out there um, where one of the rulers has awakened, and mm-hmm. it's rumored that their awakening will help heal the world. Oh, so that this ruler, I don't know if they're good, but something about them and their biome will be a a good destiny for the world. Mm. Question. Um, Can, can we, when you were, when you were speaking, when you're talking about this idea of like the rulers and the pharaohs kind of being like stuck in place, I had this very vivid image in my head. Can we make them really weird, fucked up undead dryads? Sure. Yeah. Because like we have the biome set up where they're already like it's turned into people. Right. And I I see that as they're able to tap into it because they're partially already tapped into it. Literally. Like they are a a living God in the biome. So like they're coming out of these undead gnarled trees and stuff like that. And like, they're, they're like woody undead corpses that are just, I don't know. This is like the imagery that I have in my head as I'm like, okay, we've got undead, we've got like biomes though. And why don't we mix those together and make that part of it? So like they're literally rooted, which is why they're immobile. And so Mm -hmm. like they have a seat of power that is like, you can't really move them. Like even within the biome itself, the biome could expand for miles, but they're stuck to this particular area. And I think that could really work. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. I think um, if if it's different kind of materials depending on the tomb, it would be interesting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it would have to be an organic material, but I'm okay with the idea of like switching that up pretty drastically. You know? Yeah my um, my second tenant was actually kind of a boring one, but basically that the tomb biomes aren't all the same sort of climate or terrain, but like vary a lot from. Like warm grasslands, oh, lush yeah. tropical yeah, yeah, jungles, yeah. temperate forests. There's like a, a big variety, maybe even depending on where the uh, mm-hmm. the undead pharaoh's bloodline originated from. Yeah, that totally works. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, now we have to come up with a bunch of different cool, like evil undead dryad looking things. So, yeah, right away when you talked about like the stationary, like warped undead stuff, uh, first image that popped in my mind was also from... The was annihilation. it Annihilation? Also the Annihilation movie, yeah, where there's a, <laughs> a scene in a pool where there's a, a human figure that's been greatly uh, distorted and sort of pulled apart by this alien plant life matter stuff. It's a it's a very intense, creepy, cool image. And the it other is. one was uh, the master from uh, Fallout 1. Oh, yeah. Who's this oh, like... Man, 100%. Really fucked up amalgamation of people and like it's just fleshy and gross. I think you and could it, just say skin, right? Yeah, like flesh. Skin. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and yeah. It, like it talks in like multiple voices. It like switches mm. between them as it goes, and it's 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 pretty gross too. <laughs> I I love that, and I love the idea of like a corrupt edifice of nature acting as like 
a figurehead to worship because it's like it invokes yeah. kind of like paganism as well, even though it's like very much not like there's there's actually a lot of really cool stuff that we can kind of do with this, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm thinking of different biomes. It's like you could have a cactus god. as as silly as that might seem but imagine like how horrifying that might actually be you know yeah yeah or or maybe something as simple as like a banyan tree or like anything that you can twist and corrupt into some kind of weird nature thing i think would be really fun i'm also getting um thematic vibes of uh not from those landscapes but from um the the original movie of stargate the whole egyptian Mm -hmm. styling of it um Mm -hmm. I mean, and not the series. I didn't watch the series. It seems really goofy. I don't want. I that. heard it's good though. I've heard <laughs> I it's like know. actually good. I've seen uh, some of it. Um, I didn't really watch it like sequentially. Just mm-hmm. kind of saw episodes mm-hmm. as they came on, and like it's it's enjoyable. Yeah, I, I've heard it's like it's not bad. I hear it's mm-hmm. like this is back when like there was a Star Trek drought before it got ruined by Picard, <laughs> and it was like. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, this series is really taken where TNG left off, you know, like that kind of thing. It like had that kind of spiritual successor vibe to it. But I, I don't know. I'm I'm not really a Stargate person. So I only saw a few episodes that just seemed kind of goofy compared to the film. But what, I, what I'm picturing mm. is the kind of awe that the film evoked, you know, yes, of, yes, yes, of yes. the pyramids coming to the to the earth. So I wonder, um, you know, like the interiors of these landscapes must be like scary like that and that could be part of the horror is the the Mm. revelation of it i I think that there is something that we're like i I certainly overlooked and wasn't really considering but this idea of um these tombs right like i was considering them to be in, in some cases like mostly underground and mostly kind of like humble and you know whatever but I mean, there's a good chance that they could just be massive monuments, right? Like that they mm-hmm. they could they could vary wildly in terms of what they might look like. That's what I, I was picturing. Yeah, yeah, like I that's certainly something that I overlooked for sure. I had a very specific kind of thought in my mind. Um, but this could be really cool and interesting that we can kind of approach each biome as also a monument, right? Because it has to be protected from the outside world in some way. And so you could go from like the seven wonders of the world style thing where it's like, oh, this is the hanging gardens of Babylon, except it's like encased in a glass dome. And Mm -hmm. that is that particular biome, that kind of thing, you know. We could do, we could each do uh, similar to how in the last series we each did a petroglyph city. We could each bring an underground tomb biome of our own creation to next episode for our factions. That's very true. Yeah. The the one thing I am kind of like um, curious about is like how water would work if the outside mm-hmm. is like completely devastated. Like, how does the water get in and like, is it potable water? You know, like that's kind of the first question that I have about the setting. Yeah, I was picturing like underground uh, water sources, whether it's underground rivers or lakes or mm. even just trickling from the walls, getting water that way. I can see some of these being just giant structures in the desert, like Mm -hmm. above ground. And Mm, with enough technology, I'm sure you can solve that from a science fictional point of view, or if this is a fantasy fantasy point of view, Um, because it seems like the world is a desiccated husk because of whatever Mm -hmm. happened. Right. But I imagine perhaps, you know, if it's high science, they may have moved resources into these tombs. You know, you could Mm. move entire lakes or entire, you know, I don't know, entire oceans into a single structure if we're talking about crazy technology aesthetically i'm thinking about the floating gardens at tenochtitlan from like the aztec civilization and i'm like yeah we could just do that but like you know this particular pharaoh really wanted like a big lake in in their tomb Mm -hmm. and thus they have a big lake that is somehow like sustaining itself in terms of water reproduction and whatnot Uh, and again like you Mm -hmm. said daniel we could go magic or science with it if necessary it all works. It, it's all coming together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do what other questions do we have before we before we get into the recap and try and figure out uh, if we satisfied our tenets? Let's let's talk about the uh, other questions we might have about this particular setting. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think we know really anything about 
these people who serve the pharaohs. Mm-hmm. We know that they, the pharaohs themselves, are revered and they have some kind of special knowledge that allows them to maintain or create this thing in the first place. Yep. Um, we just know that they they live in these people live in a gilded cage and they've kind of over the generations become part of this system. You know. Mm. I I just realized something. Um, we we've kind of we've we've approached this from the idea that these people all wanted to be there, or, or at least were like kind of coerced in there in some kind of way, right? Mm-hmm. I imagine that we could also approach this from a way as, hey, this is your duty to go and like maintain this particular tomb for X amount of time, and then during the cataclysm, they are then like essentially trapped inside. So these people who are there, maybe they weren't all willing and maybe they were just like nearby and ran in during the massive cataclysm that occurred. So so that's also another way that we can kind of approach the people inside is some of them were the grove tenders. Some of them were, mm-hmm. you know, the the divine descendants of these particular pharaohs and, and, and rulers and stuff like that. But the, I'm just suggesting that this is also another angle that we might want to uh, uh, approach it from. I mean, you could, so if we take that a step further, if the cataclysm pushed the non, like the commoner types into the tombs during, because of whatever was happening and the one, the families are the ones that maintain the tombs. They're already in there. The Mm. slaves could be those families, but not because of the Pharaoh, but because of the people who have pushed them in there. So, I mean, that would flip the, the concept, the slavery concept on its head, because usually it's top down, right? Mm-hmm. Like something truly evil and oppressive enslaves what's below it. But what if it's the people on the outside who have come to enslave the families who maintain, uh, this, you yeah. know? It could almost be like like an upper middle class kind of um, mm-hmm. flood into these tombs. And mm. when they got in there and kind of saw in their minds, the sort of luxury that the the slave class was living in or the working class was living in mm-hmm. and decided like, well, you guys have been like spoiled with this for however many years you've been working in this. We're going to take over and you're now serving us. Right. And so the Pharaoh, while, you know, they may be corrupt too, they, they it gives them a kind of a space to operate in where they can help the people who have been maintaining the system and also can be an antagonist to this middle class that's that's um, pushing inward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that adds a lot of dimension to it, definitely. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, I I, I want to go back to my tent, my second tenet, which is like a theme of emancipation. Who mm-hmm. are the ones who we're focusing on in this? Like, let let's give ourselves a protagonist class that we can kind of work with, who we can we can kind of feel sympathy for. Who are we focusing on in that regard? I think it can be in two spaces. So I can see like a sacrificial family slaves, the ones who are, are mm-hmm. given to the system mm-hmm. to become part of it. I can see them obviously wanting to be free of the cycle. Right. Right. And I can also see some middle-class uh, character, you know, who is seeing kind of the horrors subjected upon the sacrificial class and how their system is not really sustainable because maybe they're getting greedier or rapacious and they're depleting like the the population so things are going bad Mm. and they want to make a change too and maybe they have to appeal to the psychotic pharaoh that's (laughs) deep inside i don't know like i can see them working together and because the there's like uh there's something above them that's bad you know so you're suggesting that there's something worse than the pharaohs in the tombs themselves I think maybe like the the pharaohs are are bad because they're maybe because they're not they're, they're kind of like crazy kind of constructs at this point, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. But I also think maybe the people who are the the charge of this middle class, like they probably have something more nefarious going on politically that is threatens the whole ecosystem. And maybe there's mm-hmm. like the common people under them. Those were that maybe where the heroes are the characters. Hmm. Yeah, this is this is kind of a tough one because I I like both concepts. You know, I love the idea that we're following a protagonist who has to make the decision, you know, whether to try and run from the ritual on its eve or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that is real. That's a really compelling thought to me is to, to kind of approach it that way. But at the same time, I'm also, I, I am somewhat interested in the claustrophobia 
of, you know, living in a system that you know is doomed. Not that we might know anything about that, but mm-hmm. we'll keep that shit on lock <laughs> for later. Uh, but, but, you know, like knowing that the end or, or that you think you can see the end so much sooner than it actually is, you know, like that might be something that's kind of interesting as well. I mean, think, think of the tables turning, right? Like if, if prior to the cataclysm, the sacrificial class was regarded in a religious awe, right? And the people outside these pre-tombs um, were those, not those, they weren't slaves. Maybe they were, they were part of the population that was served by this process, right? So they mm-hmm. were in the middle class, right? And now they've always looked at them as being better than them because they were these mm-hmm. gilded sacrificial types. Now the tables have turned, they're in charge and they can treat them like they're just serfs, right? And so yeah. you, maybe the idea of like you're this, this sacrificed character trying to escape, you know, and then finding some empathy with some other kid who's part of the middle class realizing this is wrong, you know, and they have to figure out what to do. And on one hand, they've got an evil Pharaoh that might have the answers. <laughs> and on the other hand, they have a family they can't trust. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then as far as escape, they're kind of limited to either attempting to just constantly run from their pursuers within the city itself or trying to go out into the wastes and mm-hmm. who knows what's out yeah. there. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where I'm really intrigued by this idea of the biomes communicating with one another, Mm -hmm. because I feel like in some ways that's the only thing that you could really kind of instill hope into people with is like, hey, there's other people out there, you know, like, hey, it's Mm -hmm. not, you know, it might look really bad in this particular biome, but Mm -hmm. it might be better and there might be hope for a later point. And I think that uh, Gluax even offered us that kind of like, glimmer of hope that we could kind of establish here as well in the idea of the the biome folk being somewhat resistant to the outside world right yeah yeah so technically maybe they don't even necessarily know that but Mm. once they are on the outside they're kind of like wait we can survive out here like yeah and we've been told this entire time that we were in danger and we were just gonna die immediately Mm mm-hmm of course, what what is even more horrifying is imagine imagine that one of these uh, you know divine slaves biome folk walk out and they they escape with help from another one of the regular folk and they walk through this you know blasted landscape of of divine you know like whatever and their friends die except they're fine and they continue mm-hmm. to walk on and it's like that that kind of um loneliness that haunting loneliness that comes with post-apocalyptic fiction i think is like it's right there you know like that is something that i think is potentially deeply steeped within the setting you know yeah i mean i guess it like carries on that theme of sacrifice through too with Mm. the the kind of helpers dying after getting this person free but there could also be a flip side where if the um the one with the divine blood knows how they can start their own biome, even Mm -hmm. if it's like not going to be as grand or as strong as the Pharaoh biomes. But if they can, if they know how to sacrifice themselves to create one, maybe they would do that to protect these people who have, who have helped them. So, I mean, I, I see this as kind of cyclical or like the conflict is rather cyclical where each of these particular folks all feel as though they're trapped in their individual tombs. And then eventually, Mm. depending on how long it might take them, one of them eventually walks out into the waste and then creates a new biome, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that could be the source of the the hope if there's yeah if there's our mess like the classic uh post-apocalyptic theme of you know you get a radio signal that says you know help is out here mm-hmm. like come to this place if you want freedom mm. um but of course that could also be a trap and, and so like there's this kind of like metaphor for literally reseeding the world but it's like with mm-hmm. human blood or yes. or slightly <laughs> divine human blood i don't know why but i find that that conflict to be kind of uh unsatisfying in some way. And I can't tell why Daniel, do you know why I'm feeling unsatisfied? Um, I don't know if it's because we need an extra element to yeah. make things interesting. Um, because like, I don't see like a clear conflict 
I mean, there is a clear conflict, obviously. We, we, we just, right. What you guys just described. <laughs> what, I, what I mean is I don't see a, um, a clear structure for the conflict. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I don't know how it's going to take shape. Mm-hmm. Um, I am interested in, in this connection between all the biomes. Yeah. Um, we need, like, some kind of event that will make things move again. Yeah. The event we mm-hmm. had is the Cataclysm. It's got good yeah. bones. Mm-hmm. It's, it's mm-hmm. definitely got good bones, but like there is something that I think is missing and I'm curious about that. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let, let's recap the tenets and then maybe we can kind of figure out what we're missing here. So Courtney, you start us off. Can you remind us of your first tenet, please? Uh, yeah. So the divine blood slave class is in a gilded cage. Um, when they're sacrificed to form the tome biomes, they literally become the biome themselves and right. kind of remain alive in some capacity within it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay and uh daniel your first tenant um the slavers themselves are powerful sorcerers and they use um the latent power of the tombs to establish their power basically right and we've established that being uh the, the pharaohs who are undead but they are tapped into the power within the biome itself correct mm-hmm. And we've also expanded that to mean possibly now that power, consolidated power, is this outer class of people who have snuck into the tube and kind of enslaved the enslavers. Mm -hmm. But they don't they don't have any direct control over how the system works, I think. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think the the Pharaoh remaining this kind of solitary, imperious figure is an important aspect that I think we want to keep in mind. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. That's I think that's in tandem. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure that we're clear on that. Uh, my first tenet was I wanted the genre to be steeped in horror, which I think is pretty evident through everything that we're talking I th- about. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And um, yeah, I think that the idea that these uh, Pharaoh slash ruler types are undead, uh, the the ruling class are an undead, you know, monster that that works. I think that that's fun. Mm-hmm. Also, I think aesthetically mixing them with like dryads is also a fun little twist. Like, I think that's fun and unique that we can kind of approach it that way. Um, uh, my second tenet, we're going to reverse now, uh, was I wanted themes of freedom and emancipation to be evident, uh, you know, something to kind of work towards. And I feel like that is kind of there. I think that that's something that is subtextual rather than overt at the moment. Um, what do y'all think? I think that's what it would be working towards if we're saying mm-hmm. the enslaved sacrificial class is being pinched and then there's maybe people on the the ones doing the pinching who are seeing something's wrong with the system. I don't think it's clearly defined, but I think there's an opportunity for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that we have to figure out who's being emancipated here and whether that means the destruction of all the biomes or the reconstruction of all the biomes that might be something that's kind of interesting yeah i was just thinking like these pharaohs have been around for i guess we didn't establish a timeline but presuming like thousands of years probably at this yeah, point yeah let's or assume hundreds thousands. um yeah. but either way they've been you know gaining power through these sacrifices for quite a while like what happens if you kill one of the pharaohs does that power kind of flow out of them into the wastes is that how Mm. you terraform the area by removing this like consolidation i like the idea that the only way that we can kind of reestablish some kind of livable space uh is by directly like chopping off the head of a pharaoh Mm -hmm. yeah And I think that what might be kind of interesting there is you can, it would satisfy my theme of emancipation, but it also would be kind of interesting to see all of the different systems that protect that Pharaoh, Mm -hmm. you know, because I don't think it should be evident and obvious and like so simple that like everyone's like, yeah, the Pharaoh's bad. We got to kill him. I think that there should be systems in place, whether that be through people or culture or religious systems that mm. all protect the pharaoh, not just physically, but I mean on like a cultural and spiritual sense that there is something like needs to be overcome in that regard, you know? And mm. I think, Daniel, is that something that you'd be interested in exploring in terms of uh, that extra conflict? Um, No. 
Okay. <laughs> well, well, I'm trying to. I like. I know a Daniel polite no when I hear when I well, hear it. That that pause. I'm like, okay, I got you. That's fine. It's, I'm I'm cool with that. Let's hear it. I like the idea that the pharaoh, the death of the pharaoh, is somehow key to that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if if I, I want the pharaoh to not be totally the antagonist, because I think that suggests that he is totally antagonist. But I think there's this other class of people yeah. who are worse. Right. Right. I think that's what Rob was getting at in a way. Exactly. Like, yeah. If, How do you mean? Like they could easily just kind of go up and and cut the pharaoh's head off if they wanted to, but mm-hmm. doing so would remove their power in a way because exactly. they would no longer have this area to be in charge in, and they they like having it. So right. They don't want to get rid of. Oh, it. so they're protecting him for that. They're right. protecting right. others from killing him. Right. So that it, they can consolidate their power. Okay. That I yeah. see what you mean. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Those were the systems that mm. I were talking about. Okay. I thought you meant the Pharaoh's systems. You know? Oh yeah. No, no, no. Right. No. And I'm like, he's just bad. He's just the top dog again. Then. Right. Right. And yeah. I think that it's, it's very easy to like, look at that mm-hmm. and say like, well, it's easy. You just take care of this one person and all the trouble right. going. I'm completely disinterested in something. That's, like yeah, that. that was my thinking. Exactly. And so no, yeah. what you're suggesting I think is perfect because then the Pharaoh isn't the enemy really. He's bad, right? They're clearly, yeah. He's right. kind of probably probably the type that will bite off your head and drink your blood, whatever, because they're yeah. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and they're probably all very in terms of their weirdness. I'm sure they vary, but it seems mm, like the, right. the new ruling class are the ones that want to keep this intact even though it's mm-hmm. a corrupt system mm-hmm. you know yeah i i would even say that like as powerful as the pharaohs are they are they are more of a symbol or a figurehead for mm-hmm. the corrupt mm-hmm. system that is actually in place like they're slaves yeah. themselves in a sense you know that now. that's kind of interesting yeah, yeah. Or, or like yeah. they're unwitting slaves you know yeah like, as long as we continue to prop, you know, like to offer blood sacrifice, we control mm-hmm. the Pharaoh. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what you were suggesting earlier, where it's like there is the more demonstrably evil sub, mm-hmm. you know, like system or sub faction of people who are just like, we control everything. It looks mm-hmm. like the Pharaoh's involved. It's fine. But we they, yeah, they can be secretive are... about it. Like maybe exactly. they pretend yeah. to be supplicant, but really they are the ruling class. And yes. mm-hmm. the way they interact with the Pharaoh is is reverent but they really know that they they're in control of the situation yeah, yeah right and and mind you like i imagine that where you find the fun and nuance and like real world building is in each of the individual tombs that mm-hmm. we're going to be exploring mm-hmm. where you know in some cases it, it entirely depends on who the pharaoh is right and, and how that pharaoh interacts with the rest of his kind of kingdom mm-hmm. i'm sure that there are tombs where it's like yeah no the the pharaoh doesn't care he's basically like the sultan from aladdin where he's like (laughs) you give him toys to play with Mm -hmm. and like the entire world can burn and he doesn't care and then perhaps even scarier there is the opposite of that really ruthless cutthroat like you think you're in control but i'm actually the mastermind behind that spider web that you didn't even fucking Mm -hmm. see so like they're playing 5d chess let alone 4d (laughs) chess you know what i mean yeah, this this does have like a lot of really amazing and also disturbing parallels to modern politics and and past <laughs> slavery and civil rights and and everything and almost almost by design. It's crazy. Yeah, it's that? terrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, read your history books, kids. Mm-hmm, it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, we should we should be involved with this stuff. Anyway, uh, okay. So yeah, I th- I think that helps with I I, I Daniel. Would you agree with me? Would you feel like that's kind of the missing element that we didn't have before? Yeah, because okay. now we've got like um, two levels of bad guy, which I think is more yeah. interesting. You know, mm-hmm. completely yeah. agree. Yeah, yeah, I, I do feel like if it was if the cataclysm had happened and there was just the the slave class and the pharaoh, like at some point the slave class probably would have just <laughs> had a pure exactly. revolt and been like, well, we can <laughs> exactly. just fucking chop his head off and leave. Right. Um, but now with this this other class, it like adds this complexity yeah. that's really interesting. And that's and that's what I was hinting at, where I'm like. This conflict is cyclical. It's like it happens every time, everywhere. Like, yeah, it's always going to end up being that the the slave class overthrows the pharaoh, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. like why I'm bored by it. But if we have this other thing that's happening as well, that could be interesting. That could be something that we can kind of work towards. And I can I can see like you know a uh, sacrifice character 
and one from that's maybe a politician's daughter or son or something approaching the pharaoh itself sneaking in there to consult with it and receiving mm-hmm. some kind of horrific prophetic message but realizing mm-hmm. that it too is a slave and wow they've got to do a lot of work to undo mm-hmm. the system you know yeah right and of course what it might be really interesting at that point is the juncture at which that person realizes Am I just trying to reestablish the Pharaoh or am I trying to establish Mm -hmm. something new entirely, you know, Mm -hmm. as a power system? I think that's a really interesting way to approach it as well. Yeah. Um, I I still have so many questions about how this all works. Like, like how the Pharaohs express their power isn't just through these biomes. Like Daniel, you, I, I imagine you had in mind that they were like sorcerer Kings, like very powerful, uh, sorcerers or or magic wielders in some way that it wasn't just a matter of boop i made the biome it's like no they're able to do other stuff as well right yeah i mean what you guys were talking about like with this kind of organic aspect to it like maybe Mm -hmm. they have like whether it's nano machines or magical spells whatever they have like some constructive power you know like conjuration or like Mm. piecing things together or psychic power i don't know Mm. Uh, do we want to make that an expression of each particular pharaoh? So that way, next week when we come yeah. with our factions, yeah, yeah, you'd be yeah. like, this is what my pharaoh looks like. And this is how they act, you know, like that kind of thing. I think that could work. Daniel, are you cool with that? Oh, yeah. Totally. Hell yeah. Okay. So there, we got the faction homework out of the way. We're making a pharaoh in a city, y'all, each of us. That's cool. Um, other tenets. Have we have we finished all the tenets yet? What, uh, Courtney, what was your second tenet? Oh yeah, just that um each tomb biome isn't like the same sort of climate or terrain, but cool. it's from all over the place. All right. And I think that's fairly well established, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. And Daniel, what was yours? Um, there's a tomb out there where a ruler has awakened and their awakening will be um the key to healing the world. Oh yeah, we should probably uh we have not deal with touched that, yeah. that at all. <laughs> yeah, we definitely <laughs> yeah. need to we definitely yeah. need to talk about that. Um is this like a Shangri-La or is this is like, this is like an El Dorado. Is it like kind of myth? And it's like, maybe that's like what the communication is about, or is this real? I mean, Daniel, you said that it's like, it's a tenant, so it has to be real, right? Yeah. I think it's actually happening. Um, I okay. don't know what the extent of rumor is. I could be in the same tomb. Like if the mm-hmm. story's focus is one tomb, which is possible, it could be that tomb. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Alternatively, how do we feel about like maybe a collective of pharaohs getting together or like this particular pharaoh gathering other pharaohs and like transplanting them into this into their oh. tomb? Oh, that'd be interesting. Because then you can have like this. Uh, I again, I, I always tend to think visually and I'm just thinking of like this massive spire of all these transplanted pharaohs and their various like uh, organic forms of dryadism. And so it's like, but it's like, they're all meshed in, in like mixed up together. So it's like a, a, a pillar of just like corpse people stacked high on one another. And then at the top of that is the actual Pharaoh. And maybe he's like untethered by like nature or something like that. I don't know. I'm just like Kafka. <laughs> actually, actually, excellent. I was also thinking of that, uh, what is it? The Norwegian sculptor that we went to that sculpture garden of Rob? Oh yeah. The Vigland museum. Yes. Yes. With the creepy towers of people essentially. Yes. That, that, that is, that is close to what I was thinking Mm. of. Although Kefka's tower as a monument to hubris is also very good. So yeah, you've got the nerd option and you've got the (laughs) art option. So take, Mm. take your pick between the two. Here's a question for you guys. I'm I'm having trouble in my head figuring out where this narrative takes place, right? Like, yes, we have this really interesting ecosystem we built in the concept of a single tomb. But to me, like the idea of having to deal with multiple tombs seems overwhelming. Like, I don't know how I would, how we would deal with that. I mean, we're trying to solve that by having this like connection between them mm-hmm. and the transplanting I like. But I feel like if the story is going to be all the tombs in the world, like where is the conflict happening? Like, is there a way we can center it on a tomb? I don't, I don't know if that makes sense or if we should do that. I just feel like it's kind of sprawling right now. Yeah, no, I I think I understand what you mean. Like, there's a lot of disconnect between, mm. like, 
all yeah, of these potential conflicts that we might have, right? Even yeah. the thing I suggested, like I don't, I don't, and now given all the things we come up, we come up with, I don't necessarily like the idea of it being a faraway tomb, right? Because okay, what if the story's happening in the other tomb? Like why? Right. Why does that other one matter? You mm-hmm. know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, do we want to? Maybe that's just what we do. Maybe we have this thing take place in the the god pharaoh's tomb like the mm-hmm. where we have the big pillar of other pharaohs and there's other tombs out there that we can kind of make but the main conflict is this thing it's like yeah i've already conquered the other pharaohs i've already conquered the other tombs and mm-hmm. i've taken them as my trophy is that something that's interesting or is that something that we want to like reconsider i guess that's not as interesting to me as like the more sort of individual story of like fleeing from Mm. One of the smaller tombs. The characters, yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. I like that. I like focusing on that too. I think maybe mm. I like the idea of this this hybrided pharaoh, right? Right. Maybe the fabled pharaoh, we can put him in this tomb that we're dealing with, right? Where these characters are. Could could these splices have been brought to this tomb? I'm thinking like travelers who have made it from from one tomb to the other for whatever reason they've come to this tomb to contribute to this pharaoh to make some sort of change that will fundamentally change the system. Oh, so you're suggesting that these are offerings to yeah. this this uh, okay. divine or mythic pharaoh figure. Like they've come from other tombs, they know the danger of this society inside this pharaoh's thing that's actually against the pharaoh and they've got to find people who are I don't know like sympathetic mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to to overthrowing this maybe that's okay. who, our char- who our characters are you know one inside the sacrificial class one inside the actual system and they've mm-hmm. got to get these clippings to the pharaoh or whatever it is they've got to like tra- transform the pharaoh to change things yeah or it could be like one character from each of the factions that we come up with oh like yeah there, you go. Like, there we go they're all traveling uh-huh. to provide offerings but secretly they actually want to like light this thing up on fire yeah, mm-hmm. and sort of transform it, like I was saying, turning it into this other being. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a great way that we can approach it, for sure. Yeah, because then you still have the other tombs. Right, yeah. and, mm-hmm. the, and there there's a sense of connection between everything as well. So there's, like, stakes and impact that matter. Yeah. Um, interesting. Okay. Um, how do they travel? Is there, like, an entire sub-subclass of, like, these these like divine people who are like, Hey, we're couriers. We have like known resistance to the outside blight, you know, Mm. probably really hard, but I'm also like kind of hesitant to explore the outside, you know, Mm -hmm. because I think Mm -hmm. that what if it's uh, underground caverns that they've built that I'm more, that I'm more inclined to be intrigued by. Yeah. Well, whatever it is, it it must be perilous. I can say that much. Like you wouldn't, Mm -hmm. they've risked everything to get this far. I assume. Mm Mm-hmm. Because we didn't say that the outside is like a radioactive death field. We did right. say that it's just inhospitable. So it right, could right, and yeah. it's a desert, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we've crossed deserts before. So maybe that's what it is. It's like, you can't survive out there, but you can cross it. You know? Right. I'd be fine with that. And, I mean, we don't need to focus on it if it's just like a, a true wasteland desert. There aren't right. really any right. landmarks right. around. Like maybe it's not like there's not oxygen. It's just it's just a shitty desert. You know? yeah. <laughs> Sandstorms and stuff constantly. <laughs> you know, sandstorms and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, I think it's time that we throw in the twist and kind of explore it that way. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so let's go ahead and roll for the twist. Okay, our twist this time is add dinosaurs. Yes. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, sure. Let's let's. I mean, why not? Right. There's your way of crossing the desert. <laughs> oh my God! You're oh my so God. right. You're a hundred percent right. Dan. Okay. Well, hold so on. Dumb. Hold on. We'll we'll, we'll tackle oh this next God. time. We will <laughs> tackle it next episode. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, and again, a big thank you to Gluax for suggesting this particular prompt. Uh, remember that if you want us to build your world and talk about your prompt, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com. Click on the link, follow the instructions, and within a reasonable amount of time, we'll be building your world. If you want to follow us on social media, we're over on Twitter at Let's World Build. 
And if you want to come join our Discord, chat about dinosaurs, tombs, pharaohs, uh, anything. If you want a copy of our bingo sheet, we don't have it, but you can find that in our Discord. Click the link in this episode, follow that link over and come chat with us. If you're feeling particularly generous or you have the wealth of the pharaohs, you can always give us money over on Patreon for a link in the description. Whatever you want, it's fine. That's going to do it for this episode of World Build with us. Remember that we love you very much. We're going to get through this together. Until next week. Bye.